lot of people who are hating on us. There's a lot of people looking for us to fail. There's a lot of crows pecking at our neck. Uh, but all you can do is spread your wings, keep flying high until those crows fall off and suffocate from the inability to breathe. It's a whole other analogy I'll get into later. Welcome back to Halford and Bruff here. Final hour of the show. Jamie Dodd and Israel Fair filling in all week here on Halford and Bruff. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour three of Halford and Bruff brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com. Today, we are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber, with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So you heard there uh, New York Jets head coach Robert Sala responding to Sean Payton's comments. And we've had a lot of fun with what Sala had to say there, yes, right? thank you. If you, Thanks, uh, guys. If you ain't got haters, you ain't popping. And something about birds suffocating, an analogy he'll explain later. <laughs> He'll get into more later, he assures us. So we await we await the follow-up on that one uh, eagerly. So this, of course, all started when Sean Payton, new head coach of the Denver Broncos, uh, in an interview of USA Today last week, absolutely torched everything that was happening with the Denver Broncos the previous season, which, of course, was the first year for Russell Wilson, an unmitigated disaster. Nathaniel Hackett was the head coach, and among many other barbs, Sean Payton called it uh, maybe one of the worst coasting jobs in NFL history, which is like absolutely, first of all, he's right, but just absolutely incredible to hear from a, a member of the coaching fraternity to another member of the coaching fraternity. And we can get into, uh, you know, why Sean Payton might have made these comments. He's he's expressed a little bit of regret since then, saying he was kind of wearing his TV analyst hat, not his coaching hat at the time, which really is him just saying like, my mistake was I was too honest, basically, is what he's saying there. But we can get into, like, maybe why Sean Payton was uh, doing it. Sure, but sure. in addition to Robert Sallow responding, we've now had a chance to hear from Aaron Rodgers, of course, the quarterback of the Jets uh, and a, uh, a a longtime friend and collaborator with Nathaniel Hackett in Green Bay. And now Nathaniel Hackett is going to be the offensive coordinator for the New York Jets. Uh, here's what Aaron Rodgers had to say about Sean Payton's comments. Yeah, I love Nathaniel Hackett, and those comments were very surprising. Um, to for a coach to do that to another coach, my love for Hack goes deep. You know, we had uh, some great years together in Green Bay, kept in touch. Um, love him and his family. He's an incredible family man, incredible dad, and on the field, you know, he's arguably my favorite coach I've ever had in the NFL. <laughs> Just his approach to it, how he makes it fun, uh, how he cares about the guys, uh, just how he goes about his business with respect, with leadership, with honesty, with integrity. And it made me feel bad that someone who's accomplished a lot in the league is that insecure that they have to take another man down to set themselves up for some sort of easy fall if it doesn't go well for that team this year. Thought it was way out of line and appropriate, and I think he needs to keep uh, my coach's names out of his mouth. Woo! That is Aaron Rodgers stepping up and coming to the defense of the family man, Nathaniel Hackett. He needs to keep my coach's name out of his mouth. Sounding like Will Smith at the Oscars there. 
<laughs> you made another movie reference that I like. Uh, Aaron Rodgers also had a big Oppenheimer take, and yeah, he, he, he gave his, yes. his the prestige. Uh, his take that the prestige is Christopher Nolan's best movie, but based on some of the comments there, clearly has not seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. No, I was going to say, he's like, he's a great family man. And then the line from Alec Baldwin's famous monologue, right? Good dad, blank, go home and play with your kids. (laughs) That line occurred to me. I'm sure Nathaniel Hackett is a great family man. Not a good head coach. Not a good head coach in the NFL. Look, obviously he's had success with, uh, with Aaron Rodgers as an offensive coordinator. But, you know, I always think about, these guys who have have success with as the OC with uh, not just great quarterbacks and Hall of Fame quarterbacks, but quarterbacks who specifically are kind of micromanagers of the offense and have one way and do a lot of the you know calling audibles at the line and diagnosing the defense. Who I'm blanking on his name now, but who was it was uh, the Jets coach who was so horrible, right? It was uh, Gase Adam Gase Adam Gase, who of course got his start as the offensive coordinator for Peyton Manning in That's Denver. Right. And it's like, well, okay, you got a good performance out of Peyton Manning and Demarius Thomas and a, a stacked offense. That doesn't tell me that much about your abilities. And I kind of feel the same way with Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers. Like, yeah, Aaron Rodgers was thrown to Devontae Adams. I, I'm guessing <laughs> you're going to have success offensively there. Now, it's great for Aaron Rodgers to uh, to say he's one of my favorite coaches. But, man, it is uh, <laughs> just the, the depth of feeling there. And him leading off with, I love Nathaniel Hackett. I love Nathaniel Hackett. That's a fascinating quote from Aaron Rodgers. An interesting guy, as you might have heard. Very, very interesting. We're, we're seeing more and more dimensions of Aaron Rodgers here. He feel, <laughs> I think he feels liberated in New York. I was actually yep. thinking about this. He is now, like, uh, there are think pieces in major publications about Aaron Rodgers and the intersection of celebrity as he goes to New York. Yeah. We saw it to some degree with Brett Favre, but... Twitter wasn't really, or X wasn't around. X certainly wasn't around when, when yes, Brett no. Favre. Somebody uh, scolded me in the inbox for... I did see that. For calling it Twitter, saying you could follow uh, our first guest on Twitter. And that was and a big deal. It's not Twitter anymore, But Jamie. he's getting more attention, obviously, than... Oh, yeah. Because just the way that it's covered now. But he, he went from living in Green Bay, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for much of, his, much of his life, much mm-hmm. of his adult life, to now being in New York City for a team that loves to be on the back page of the New York tabloids. And he's he's helping put him there uh, with, with his comments. Uh, he, and it, <laughs> look, these teams... I don't know. I I, uh, I made my feelings on the Jets pretty clear last week that I, I think they're a clown show. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're just adding fuel to the fire. Yeah, and the thing is, I I can kind of understand their point. Like, hey, we're we're catching strays here, basically. Like, yes, Nathaniel Hackett is on the staff, but why is Sean Payton running his mouth about our offseason and us being on uh, on hard knocks? I kind of understand, but they're also living up to what Sean Payton is saying in a way, right? It's almost a self fulfilling prophecy. Was what Sean Payton is saying, like, hey, you make the big splashy move in the summer, that's great. But then you spend all this time reading your own headlines and believing your own hype. And what happens in September? You fall flat and it doesn't work out. And just in general, I mean, again, they didn't start this. It's not technically their fault. But now you have your star quarterback going on national TV in training camp and, you know, talking about that he better keep my coach's name out of his mouth. Like, that's not generally what you want from your NFL team. I, I think Sean Payton's on to something where the vault, you want to limit the noise around your team as much as possible at this time of the calendar, and the Jets are doing anything but right now. And, you know, they to be fair to them, they could have 
They could have moved on from this. They could have said like, hey, that's Sean Payton. You know, Robert Sala responded. That's Sean Payton's opinion. We're not worried about that. We're focusing on us. We're focusing on preparing for the season. Instead, they've leaned into it. They've leaned into the drama. Jets they've leaned into jets, the beef. Jamie. The Jets can't help and, themselves. And they're kind of proving Sean Payton right. That they're setting themselves up as this, oh, how dare they talk about us that way. It's like, well, you're the Jets and you haven't won anything yet. And guess what? Sean Payton was right about Nathaniel Hackett. And right now you're proving him right that you're not focused on the correct things going into the season. <laughs> it's too good, man. It's too good. The Jets are going to jet. So, and the other thing that Aaron, they are, it's, tr- it's so true. They are absolutely always going to find a way uh, to jet. The other thing there that Aaron Rodgers says, and I, I do think this is an interesting conversation, right? He says that, you know, Sean Payton is basically trying to deflect attention away from himself. He's giving himself a built-in excuse if this season doesn't go as planned for Russell Wilson and Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos, that he can essentially look at it and say, hey, what do you want me to do? What do you, what do you want me to do? This was the, Look at the crater left behind by Nathaniel Hackett and the way he managed his team. And I think there's probably – look, coach, a coach as smart as Sean Payton, he can say, oh, you know, I, I – I was wearing my television analyst hat and I got a little carried away. Like he can say that as much as possible. He's a smart guy. He knew what he was doing. Right. And there's calculated Jamie. That was calculated. There's a calculation and there's strategy uh, going on there. I I, I think there's probably something to be said about the, uh, you know, the self protection argument, right. That he's kind of trying to create a situation where if he has success, he looks like a genius and if he doesn't, he can blame it on the last guy. I do also wonder, though, how much of it is almost as a throwing some red meat to his players, like letting them off the hook a little bit, right? Because part of what he was saying in that interview was really not holding Russell Wilson accountable. It was, okay, yeah, Russell Wilson was doing some things that weren't great, but the leadership needed to rein him in, and they did it. And ultimately, it's their fault. And I wonder how much of this is him saying, hey, you guys are good players. This wasn't on you. Don't don't get down to the dumps. Don't think that you're not good enough. Now that I'm here, we're going to have success. I wonder how much of it was kind of internally directed to his players as well. It's an interesting point, Jamie, uh, because this was a team prior to last year that, while not having reached the success of the Peyton Manning teams and being in the Super Bowl, and having very little to speak of at the quarterback position since Peyton Manning retired, had a really good defense yep. for a number of years. And that was the, the biggest frustration for the Broncos last year. They had a lot of games where they should have won because their defense kept them in games. And they just needed the offense to execute one or two plays. And they just couldn't get it done. Now, you know, Aaron Rodgers clearly is not a an unbiased person there. Nope. But we can sit there and look at that coaching job and say that, that was that was shocking what happened with the Broncos. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that yeah, Sean Payton is looking around that team and knows that there are players that are not too far from some pretty high level of play. And also really wiping the slate clean. Guys, yeah. like you are not defined by last season. Yeah. And there is maybe a distinction between the rest of the players and Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson's going to get the most attention. He's the one with with the longest track record of success prior to last year. And he was so instrumental in a bad way to what happened last year. Like, he was such a part of it in a way no other player was. It's going to – you're right. Like, there's going to be – 
it's not it's the team and Russell Wilson they're almost separate and I guess you could argue that's part of the problem uh, that's part of the thing that uh, that Sean Payton is going to have to fix there but I yeah I, I think part of this is uh is him trying to take some heat away from the players and I also wonder if part of it is just he got there and was like legitimately shocked at, at the state of things right and some of it, like I, I I as much as I think it was calculated I suspect some of it was just kind of genuine dismay at how the team was run uh last year uh this one comes in shocker Aaron Rodgers has an issue with comments made by someone if Hackett was a half decent head coach he'd still have his job I mean that is ultimately what it comes down to here. It's like there's no debate. You can maybe we can debate his strengths as an offensive coordinator. Maybe you know he's a great family guy, but there is no debate about uh, how he performed, how Nathaniel Hackett performed as. Well, there should have been a follow up. Uh, if Nathaniel Hackett's a great coach, then is Russell Wilson a terrible quarterback? Yeah. Then what went wrong? <laughs> Throw some barbs at Russell Wilson. That's true. That would have been good. I would get Rogers. this beef going. Let's go. Yeah. But uh, hey, look, they've done a great job uh, building this one up for Week Four in the NFL, which otherwise, you know, still the Jets and Aaron Rodgers would have been an interesting matchup. But uh, now it's something that a lot of people are going to have circled on their calendar when it rolls around. Uh, before we get to some what we learned, I did want to bring this up from the NFL as well. So we've been monitoring the running back salary and running back contract situation around the NFL. And it was focused on guys who are holding out or are holding out Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, now it's kind of spread to somebody who, under contract, you know, not at that dis- normal decision point in his career, and that's Jonathan Taylor. Still young, right? Still on his rookie deal with the Colts. He's been a little upset about, you know, the Colts maybe not wanting to pay him when the time comes. Upset about comments made by Jim Irsay, the owner of the Colts. They have this meeting, the two of them, on Jim Irsay's bus for an hour recently at training camp. Now there's this this report from the Colts that Jonathan Taylor came to camp complaining of back pain, and they're considering putting him on the non-football injury list. The significance of that is currently he's on the the pup, the physically unable to perform. If you're on that list, you get your money. If you're on the non-football injury list, you don't get your money. You don't get paid. So that's a big deal for the Colts to kind of put that out there. It wasn't an official report, but it's, you know, obviously this is coming from the team. To put that out there, that they're considering putting him on the non-football injury list, uh, Jonathan Taylor responds on Twitter saying, that's not true. He never came to camp complaining of back pain. Doesn't have any back pain. This is all in the context of, you know, Jonathan Taylor has requested a trade, but is anyone going to give up real assets for him because he's a running back? Is anyone willing to pay him? Even somebody who's been at the top uh, of his performance, of his craft, like Jonathan Taylor. And it's just fascinating because we're kind of used to it at this point. The, you know... The running backs, like who have either cashed in on their second contract, like Ezekiel Elliott or Todd Gurley, or are about to, you know, like uh, Jacobs or uh, or Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is kind of a new frontier where normally this guy would just show up and the team would hand him the rock, uh, you know, a lot every game, and it would be fine, and they deal with it down the road. But if the running back situation kind of starts spreading to more Jonathan Taylors, like. To me, that's something that could actually prompt change, right? If you can't even rely on, you know, if it's if it's going to be a labor issue before the rookie contract is even over, that's going to be a problem for teams going forward. It uh, is getting there, I think. Yeah, it, it seems to anyway. Uh, this is he's just a year removed from one of the best seasons mm-hmm. we've seen from a running back. He was dominant for the Colts in 2021 last year. 
had some injury troubles, um, and now here it, it just shows that there's very little sympathy at that position right now. Yeah, from decision makers, including owners, uh, based on what what Jim Irsay had to say about the situation. Yeah, and I mean another example of uh, you want your owner far removed from day to day sports operations of your team as possible. I'm I'm not sure uh, getting Jim Irsay and Jonathan Taylor in a bus together for an hour was the smartest <laughs> smartest move here i'm not sure how much happened in that bus to to smooth things over but this is going to be one to monitor and look if if running backs as a class want to change things if they want to carve out exemptions in the cba you know do whatever it is that they want to do to make sure they're more fairly compensated it's not going to be the guys like saquon barkley and josh jacobs who do it, right? Because teams look at them and say, you know what? We're just not willing to invest. They're not that important. They're so close to being past their prime. But if players like Jonathan Taylor, who are, you could still very much see getting two, three more really high quality years out of Jonathan Jonathan Taylor. If, it, if that younger class of elite players, if they start to agitate, if they start to get involved, maybe it's still a very uphill battle, right? Because you see, we see how teams value even really good running backs like Jonathan Taylor. But if they did want to change things, I think it would have to come from guys in at this stage of their career, uh, as opposed to players a little bit later and a little bit closer to the end. All right. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, get your What We Learns in. It's coming up at 830 that we will read them. We will dive into your submissions. Uh, we have a few, but we can always use more. So hit us up. 650-650, your chance uh, to get your text read on the radio. Before we get to those... We'll do some of our own here. No A-Dog, by the way. He's off today, so it's just Laddie holding things down uh, in the control room. Lena is producing for us, but she's not here. She's working from home. So Laddie is all by his lonesome yeah. behind the glass. No one to talk to. No one to talk to. <laughs> just just cruising fan graphs. No one to annoy, t- more <laughs> like it. If, if A-Dog had his say, that's what he would say. Uh, but Laddie, we haven't heard from you really uh, all show. So uh, do you have a what we learned to get us started? Well, I got... Baseball stats up the wazoo, all right? Because right? that's pretty much all. <laughs> You've had nothing of a time to look at baseball stats back there. Yeah, there's uh, there's been some moving and shaking, right, with the trade deadline. The Blue Jays pick up uh, Jordan Hicks, the reliever that throws 104 miles per hour, like you were saying. Uh, so here's the first of my two what we learned uh, stats for the Blue Jays. Uh, the Jays now have four relievers. They're the only AL team with four of them with a riff, whiff rate over 30% now. Uh, so Jordan Hicks, over 30%. Eric Swanson, Trevor Richards, and Jordan Romano, all very adept at missing bats, you guys, which is something this Blue Jays bullpen yep. quite needs. And to have four of those options out of the bullpen, Romano injured, of course, right now, that's pretty that's pretty special that they got that in the bullpen now. And then there's the other stat I was talking to you guys about before the show. Uh, we call him Danny Clutch, Danny Jansen. Uh, looking at his stats, Josh Goldberg had a uh, a stat uh, in his latest article that mentioned uh, in high leverage situations, we all know Danny Jansen's been pretty lights out uh, when the bases are loaded and when it's a big situation. He has a 947 OPS, which is 300 points higher than in low leverage situations. Not for bad. Danny Jansen. So yeah, it's safe to say that he likes the big moments. He's been getting it done all year. And the thing with him is just staying healthy for me, right? It's just he yeah. needs to stay behind the plate. 
uh, which hasn't been easy the last couple of years. Well, so he's got to trick himself. And I mean, I appreciate the clutch hits. But yeah. Like, just spread them out a little bit, too. Right. You know what I mean? You know, we don't only need them in the clutch situation. Can you pretend that there's runners on yeah, base. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretend that you're we're down two and there's yeah. two runners on base right now. And go ahead. Go hit a home run, buddy. Uh, all right. Give us a mookow on that. Good baseball stats. Yeah. So I don't know if you believe in the, the clutch stat, but that's uh, that's some pretty convincing stuff there uh, from Danny Jansen. I don't really. I don't know. I mean, I know this is like a, one of the big sports radio debates. Is clutch a real mm-hmm. thing? Right. I don't want to get into it here necessarily, but you see a stat like that. Yeah. I don't know. Like, really? We think like to me, it's like, well, just do it all the time. Then if you're capable of pulling these incredible performances out in, in so-called clutch situations, like, why aren't you doing it all the time? I don't know. I, I, I think there's some players that are more capable of locking in in the biggest games. You know what I mean? It's, it's game seven or in the playoffs, and they don't have those jitters. They don't have anything like that. The the, the splits like this when are you harder start for to me to buy into. parse it individually, yeah. Like I, I will buy into sort of the mythology that Michael Jordan went into big games with yep. no fear and was ready to pounce at every opportunity. But when you start to go through individual – like the thing is Danny Jansen's a good player. And this year, he happens to have had a lot of success with runners mm-hmm. in scoring position. And it also, it probably bears, or in like clutch positions, it bears out because a lot of the other Jays players haven't had quite that that success. Yeah. So it stands out well, even and, more. And he's surrounded by that lineup, too, where they're getting on base right. quite often in front of him. They're setting the stage for him, for sure. Yeah, and I think of, you know, Justin Williams in the NHL, obviously like Mr. Game 7 for a long time. And I do think there's something to be said there where he obviously has a mentality and a preparation that allows him to be successful in big games, right? Where you don't see any drop off yeah. in performance. There's a small sample often. I, I have it two go to stats on that one. The first is that Mariano Rivera is mm-hmm. seen as the best closer of all time. His playoff ERA is like just above one. He also was on the wrong side of two brutal blown saves. Uh, the World Series against the D-backs, and then obviously Game 4 against Boston in the ALCS in mm-hmm. 2004. So even a guy who has amazing stats in the playoffs and was about as reliable a closer as you could find was on the wrong end of some plays because they played a lot. And then the other stat I go to is Derek Jeter, who basically played a full regular season in the playoffs because the Yankees made the playoffs so often. I think it's about 160 games. His numbers, and he's Mr. Clutch, he's Mr. November. His numbers in the playoffs are basically identical. His slash line is basically identical to his career numbers, Mm -hmm. which you can give him maybe a little bit of credit for higher quality of competition and that that it's the big moments. But it's not like he all of a sudden became a much better player in the playoffs. He basically, over the course of the sample of a season, was himself, which at the plate anyway was a pretty good player. He had some brutal individual series, too, right? Like, it's not like that. He ultimately gets to his career averages, but I think it's very instructive because he had some incredible series, and then he had some just absolutely awful ones. And what do you know? Ultimately, it evens out about roughly what he was in his career. And it's all sequencing. You, you know, right? yeah, it's all sequencing. And I think for most players, if they had the volume of postseason appearances that Derek Jeter did, you'd probably find something similar, right? That their numbers are extremely, extremely similar uh, to what they did in the regular season, I can forget. Did we already do a mook out here? And then we just did. But I, I was just going to add to your point there. I, I think it's just <laughs> he—he who controls the mook out controls the show. He's like, I'm not going to do it yet. 
Well, it's true. Now I forgot no, no, no. what I was going to say, so no, no, no. it's too late Oh, now. what? Oh. <laughs> Come on. Well, I'm sorry. Jamie. I'm sorry. stalled long enough that I actually, the, the point I, left my I, mind. I make fun, but I do like uh, talking baseball, if you like. Fangraphs so, Radio sorry. over here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get too stat heavy. Fangraphs Radio. Well, I was, actually, I was going to say the, the fact that he was able to do it in those big moments and be himself, anyone that's played sports yes, knows, agreed. nerves are a real thing. Yeah. Right? When you play in those big moments, you physically get shaky sometimes. Like, it's it's a real... Thing that players need to work through, and I think that's a skill that not every single athlete has. Uh, all right, I'll do my what we learned here before we go to break. Uh, mine is uh, Geno Smith and the Seahawks have got some new bulletin board material, courtesy of your employer, The Athletic, is he? And uh, this is always one of the the most interesting NFL pieces of the year. It's by Mike Sando, who does a great job uh, covering the NFL for The Athletic. It's his quarterback tears where he gets commentary from uh, people around the league, coaches, executives, etc., basically trying to rank all of the quarterbacks in the league and put them in tiers, but then they're also numbered within those tiers. And so obviously tier one, number one, no surprise, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, in tier one, you've got behind Mahomes, Burrow, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, and Justin Herbert in tier one. The interesting thing is in tier three, and here's the – the kind of caption he puts on tier three, a tier three quarterback is a legitimate starter, but needs a heavier running game and or defensive component to win a lower volume drop back passing offense suits him best in tier three. Russell Wilson comes in as the 16th best quarterback in the NFL down, down the page a little bit. Number 20, Geno Smith coming in as a tier three quarterback, 20th best quarterback in the NFL. So Geno Smith still, not getting that recognition after what he did with the Seattle Seahawks, people still leaning on the track record of Russell Wilson. And if you thought it was over, if you thought the era of the Seahawks using Russell Wilson as a motivator was over, they're going to fire it back up with this. You know they're talking about it and saying people still think Russ is better, but they know they're riding with Geno. This is perfect bulletin board material. Uh, for Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks. I'll say this, quickly scanning the write-ups on both, the the standout thing that people are still giving in favor of Russell Wilson is his ability, which we did not see very often in Denver, but saw countless times in Seattle, mm-hmm. to make that winning play when he has to do it. And there's a quote in the Geno Smith, uh, Smith paragraphs that there were times last year where Geno couldn't fully take over, make that special play. When everything else breaks down, the quarterback has to make. Russell Wilson, this is the specific thing that they are banking on from Russell Wilson, that he has that track record that Seahawks fans yep. saw almost game after game. Uh, the the wizardry of Russell Wilson in a ton of games to get them wins. There were times last year where Geno Smith, they, they just needed to play in the fourth quarter. They could have had even a better record. Uh, didn't quite go that way. So that's uh, the latest from uh, the uh, the Athletics quarterback rankings. And again, some bulletin board material. Hit us with a moo cow there. Uh, we will take a break uh, and we will get into your submissions for what we learned. Coming up next here, final segment of the show coming up. It is Halford and Bruff Sportsnet 650. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. 
Welcome back. It is Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Yeah, you know what that jingle means. Of course, it is what we learn time. Uh, Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. This hour of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com. Today, we are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. And last, but certainly not least, what we learned is brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation at $200 off. Visit GetFirePlan.com. Oh my God! We're having a fire plan! See, A-Dog's very clever uh, making these intros and having his own voice. Because now, even when he's off the show, he's part of the show. People are thinking about A-Dog. People are, he's, he's always front of mind for listeners. Well, he is the songbird of our generation, too. The songbird so, of our generation. Get, him, get his voice on there somehow. I've never heard I've never heard A-Dog referred to that. The songbird <laughs> of our generation. We, you know, I, I don't want to take too much credit, but we collectively have probably four or five oh, hit, yeah. no, like, you, you solid guys, gold hits you guys that we brought to this program. Gold hits. You guys have some bangers. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, we will go into the listener submissions, the 650-650, uh, to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, I got a couple on the uh, on a similar topic here. Paul in Peterborough says, what we learned, Max Verstappen and Red Bull are unstoppable. And then Paul in Peterborough, or no, that was Paul in Peterborough. Uh, Cole in Calgary texts in, what we learned, Max Verstappen is going to win every race to end this year. Starting from six, he passes the whole field, including his teammate in the same car. He finished 22 seconds ahead and coasted for the final laps. Insane dominance. I do feel like a bit of a hypocrite when I get when I start talking about this because I'm more of a an anti-parody guy in like traditional North American team sports. I love the dominance. I love seeing, you know, how how great can this team or this player be? But for whatever reason, it does not translate to F1 for me. I do not find the predetermined outcome of every race right now where you know it's going to be Max Verstappen, and not just by a little bit, by a lot. I find it very difficult to retain the kind of burgeoning fandom I had after watching a little bit of Drive to Survive because you do just feel like the result is predetermined. And what Cole says there, I mean, so often in F1, you talk about qualifying and there's not a lot of passing, so whoever's in pole position, well, they're probably going to win the race. And look, full credit to Max Verstappen. I, I get how impressive it is, but it didn't even matter that he was six in the grid, right? He's still no problem, mm-hmm. right? Just far and away uh, ahead of everyone to win. Again, it's tough because I do appreciate the excellence. And, you know, again, as Cole says, like, it's not just the car helps, but he's he's better than his teammate in the same car, right? He's way better than them, too. It is really impressive. But just from a viewing point of view, it's tough to get engaged when you just know it's not even going to be competitive on, on a week-in, week-out basis. Yeah, Jamie, I think the difference with F1 versus the team sports, at least the ones in North America, is that there's always at least the ability to come up with a foil. Yeah. The Golden State Warriors were dominant, but they had the Cavs and LeBron, and they they only lost once, but that felt a lot. Uh, In this case, it seems like it's just, it's a complete foregone conclusion. Well, and I think about two of the greatest regular season teams of all time in North American pro sports, 
the Pats, yep, 16 and 0, and the 73 and 9 Warriors, they both lost in the championship game, right? They were incredible, but they weren't so head and shoulders above the rest of the field that losing was unthinkable. It might have felt like that at times, right? Certainly going into that Super Bowl, it felt like it was going to be a coronation, but we also there was still at least enough drama and enough possibility of an upset to make it exciting. And in this case, it just feels like there's no that 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 hint of being pushed. I guess I think that's what it is for me, right? Because you know, even with like Michael Jordan, okay, they win six championships. And I know he was eliminated in the playoffs there after coming back once, but still win six titles, the two three peats. But like they lost games in the finals. You know what I mean? Like even the last one against the Utah Jazz, they won in six. It wasn't like it was like four Sweet thirty city. point blowouts yeah. in a row. They were still pushed. They were still tested. And I think that's the difference here is. It feels like it's just dominance without even being tested. There's no, as you say, foil. There's no one pushing him to great heights. It's just, yeah, he's the best, and there's nothing anyone else could do about it. And again, respect, appreciate it, but to convince me to get up early and, and turn it on to watch it is, is a very hard sell. Yeah, and it's it's like different than Tiger's dominance in golf, where mm. that was just seen as We've seen dominant stretches in F1 before. Mm-hmm. The guy grew up yep. in like the Michael Schumacher era, where I was like, this guy's the best. And he wins all the time. For a decade, he wins every F1 title. In golf, it was, we've never seen anything like this. No. And it was not, it was also, I think part of it might be, and there, there's a good text in here about, um, that the cars is such like a, a, a for people, such a huge part it's such it. an unknowable thing for the average sports fan. I'm not even like a car buff in general, so I wouldn't have any clue. But even people that really know cars, like with Tiger Woods, there was this, look, he's more jacked than all these golfers. Mm -hmm, He mm -hmm. has a different training regimen than all these golfers. There are intricacies with the cars specifically that unless you are someone that has a deep knowledge of the mechanics of of those vehicles, that you're not going to be able to go, well, you know, this guy's got a chance this week because his car can do yes, X, yeah. and because they made this car can do his car. Yeah, yeah it, it's it's this kind of branch that makes things a little bit differently. And it, like in this case, there's the acknowledgement of like, yeah, like Red Bull has really good cars, and there's you always hear like, oh, you know, Mercedes is up or Ferrari is up, and they're kind of going up yep. and down, and there is that competition. But it's also because it, you know it's a pretty cons- they, they race a lot. It's not like hey, we're building these cars for this one race, for the Mm, Super Bowl mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of F1 or any sort of automobile race where, hey, you've got a year. And this is me. I'm digging into my Ford versus Ferrari knowledge here where it's like, (laughs) we've got a year to build a car to race in Le Mans. Uh And then you feel like, okay, that's even footing. Here it's like, it's just consistency. And the consistency, and you said, Jamie, like the, not just the consistency, but like the excellence is overwhelming. Yeah. The consistency of that excellence is even another level. But there are factors that, at least for me, as an outsider, someone who never really got into F1, I can sit here and and analyze and understand, but I I find that there's some distance there. Yeah, for sure. And this one, uh, Dan and Fort St. John says, the thing about F1 is that you can't really appreciate it if you're just looking at the winner. You need to accept that most years it's going to take battles further down the field to keep it interesting. I understand that, and I, I think I would compare that to, let's say, uh, the Bundesliga, where how how many is Bayern Munich on in a row here? Like, it's a lot that they've won 
in a in, row. And this year was was tight. But this year, again, right? Like Dorman, they almost Dorman had a chance to do it. It wasn't, oh, it's Christmas and they're, you know, 20 points uh, up on the table and no one else is even going to touch them. So even in that run of dominance, uh, you you still have question marks come up at time to time. And then I would say, again, like I think Dan and Fortune John's point is interesting. And again, to compare it to European soccer, but the thing is, in the Premier League or in it's La Liga, Bayern Munich. 11 in a row, you have, yes, obviously the, the title is the big prize, but there are meaningful distinctions farther down the table, right? In 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 England, it's, okay, are you going to be top four and be in Champions League? For some of the mid-tier tables, it's what? You want to be top seven, right, to get into the next level of European competition. At the very, at the very lower end of the table, you want to avoid relegation. For F1, it's kind of just, like, bragging rights. So I guess if you're a huge fan of one of the, you know, less successful teams in F1 and they finish, you know, 5th instead of 8th, okay, that's good for you, but it doesn't actually mean anything really. It doesn't mean oh, oh hey, and now they get access to this new competition or they've avoided relegation, right? It's the, that's what gives the the mid-table battles real stakes in European football. And and I think that's one of the things lacking. For sure. Yeah, there's it's just the straight up race, and uh, look, it's it's an impressive thing to follow to see someone be at that level. But yeah, again, to reiterate, I just think there is that there is that distance, and even like you know Michael Jordan, there I don't th- I mean he was such a cultural phenomenon. I don't know if people were like, oh, I'm I'm tired of this guy winning yeah. over and over again because there was this sort of strange approachability yeah, he, to him. He had the Riz. He definitely had the Riz. The Riz King at the time, no doubt about it. And then, but then there's, you know, there's the idea of you brought up the Patriots and the Patriots were a team that people definitely got tired of. Mm -hmm. And it was this idea of like, I cannot wait for someone to finally knock them off. Right. That was, that was the prevailing thing around the league. Please someone knock this team off. And in this case right now, it just like, it's hard to make that argument in F1. Yeah, it really is. It is. And it's tough when there's still a whole big portion of the calendar left. And it feels not just the outcome in terms of him winning the championship, but each individual race outcome already feels uh, predetermined. Keith the Water Guy texts in, What we learned, Canada soccer needs an immediate overhaul in preparations for the 2026 World Cup. Uh, That's a good shout out by Keith the Water Guy, one we hadn't really talked about, right? You're, You're focusing on the Olympics next year for the women, but on the men's side, you're co-hosts of a World Cup in three years' time, right? And that sounds like a long way away, but there is there are enough warning signs, and not just warning signs, but actually like bad results and bad things happening that if you want to put out a good showing in that World Cup for the men in 2026 and capitalize on the incredible opportunity of co-hosting that tournament, you have to start getting your house in order right now. And we, we talked a lot earlier in the show about uh, the Canadian women's team and their result and their elimination earlier today. I did want to pass along uh, this clip or, or this quote from Christine Sinclair, courtesy of uh, Har Johal uh, on, on Twitter, at Hard Journalist. Uh, Christine Sinclair says, look, we've been battling our federation for support, but I can't put this on the CSA. There are 23 players out there and staff, and we didn't get it done tonight. I think more of it is like a wake-up call for our federation and the lack of a professional league, the lack of support for our youth national teams. I think you're just going to continue to see teams reach our level and surpass us, whatever you want to call it. 
if things don't change. Uh, that's the quote from Christine Sinclair after the 4-0 defeat. And I think she does a good job of summing it up, right? She takes accountability and said, like, look, hey, there's players and staff here. We didn't get it done. But this also better be, in her words, a wake-up call because she, what we were talking about, right? She sees the future. She knows where the rest of the world is going. And if things don't change, that means big, big trouble for Canada. That concern is not new. They nope. they have seen this before. And the, the women's team had that scenario where they were riding a high. Probably the most attention that they'd ever received was coming out of the London Olympics. Mm -hmm. And they had the opportunity to host that World Cup. And they feel like, I think, looking back, that it wasn't, they didn't make, they didn't go as far as they would have liked to. And they probably could see some of the writing on that wall. And it, it's been mitigated over the years because of some of the young talent that's come up and, and been ready to perform. And this was your worst case scenario, but to flip it back to the men's, like they are staring at a very similar scenario. For them, it was qualifying for the World Cup and win, like winning CONCACAF, qualifying, qualifying for the World Cup, getting a lot of attention, not just in this country, but in the soccer world where people were pointing out Canada's arising power. It now, it's three years until the, the World Cup when it's here. A similar scenario to, to the women with going from 2012 Olympics to the 2015 World Cup. And those three years are going to be crucial yeah. to getting not even it's we're not even talking about development anymore, right? Like the, the players that are in the system now are going to be the ones that make the difference. But it's strengthening your foundation, mm -hmm. and it's it's providing the resources necessary to compete at the highest well, level. Well, and look, the women have been competing at the highest level for a long time now, right? And that's why results like we saw today are not acceptable. For the men, the last kind of – I don't want to call it a moral victory because making it to the World Cup was a big deal. But you can't – you're not – like that's gone. The benefit of the doubt for, hey, look at them. They made it to the World Cup. That's amazing. That's gone. There's no more resting on the laurels of that success. It has to be about building to the next thing. And for Canada soccer, the in-depth and serious preparations to set that team up for success on home soil in three years, it has to start right now because we see it on the women's side. And I think on the men's side, we've seen the results at the World Cup and since the World Cup. There's a lot of work to do, a lot of work to ensure that that team is put in the best position to succeed uh, and that that team is operating on all cylinders when that tournament rolls around. And there has to be a concerted effort to make things better uh, right now, starting right now to do that. What we learned, this one from Marcus and Gibsons, he says, uh, I learned Matt Chapman was the one who initiated the intentional walks to Shohei idea in the LA Toronto series. Uh, this was pretty good, I got to say. After Shohei Otani homers in the first <laughs> inning of the series, batting second, and the clip that went viral of Matt Chapman uh, in an argument, in a heated argument with John Schneider, uh, and paraphrasing here and, you know, uh, censoring some of the language, but basically, why would you pitch to him? He's the only blanking guy on the team <laughs> who can hit, which... I mean, he makes a good point. Trout is out with an injury. He makes a good point. Wow. Like, yeah, he's the only good player on the team. What are you doing? And I get, look, you're not understanding of a 0-0 game. He's not, he's not that level of slugger. I did think people maybe blew it a little bit out of proportion that Chapman was, like, yelling at Schneider. It's like, I don't know. They're competitive guys. He's just – He's talking to his manager. Yeah, blown off like, the Like, whatever. But it, just the way he phrased it, he's the only blanking guy. On the, on the team who can hit. I was like, oh, you make a good point, Matt Chapman. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you make a good point there. Schneider did respond and say that he didn't take it personally. It was just... Yeah, of course yeah, not. 
it was kind of a funny quote from Schneider. I, I'd have to censor some of the language as well. But he said he said he's been through a lot worse before, and he's been called a lot worse before. So he's got some thick skin, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's a guy blown off steam, yeah. and they know Matt Chapman has a certain level of intensity in his regular. Mm. You know, like that's just the way he carries himself. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think you would have to be. You would have to be naive to think that exchanges like that and much more heated and inflamed are not happening on a regular basis between players, between players and coaches uh, in in professional sports. So I think any any attempt to make this like, oh, they don't respect John Schneider. It's like, no, man, they're just they're just being competitive and they're just letting him know that Shohei Otani is the only blanking very guy, good. Yeah. <laughs> the only blanking guy on the team. Yeah, <laughs> he wanted them hit. to update the scouting report. Yes, exactly. Yeah, a little Advan- profane. Advanced scouting report for the Angels. Otani, only guy on the team who can hit. Oh, okay. Good good to know. You could do a lot worse. <laughs> uh, 6.50, 6.50. Oh, I, want, ah, I don't know if we have time to read this. I'll read it. Now, this wasn't sent in as a as a what we learned, but Kyle and Canmore texts in. Uh, he says, podcast listener here. Hearing you guys talk last week and hearing Mike, the, uro- the urologist in Brockville, complain that the show doesn't read his texts, I can say for certain that him and Adam, the former bath guy, get messages read on every single show this entire year. I even contemplated using their monikers to trick Bruff to get a text read. That is from Kyle and Canmore. And it's true. Mike, the urologist, has said, oh, Halford never reads my texts, and I've read them. Kyle and Canmore blowing the lid off of the conspiracy and the talking point from Mike, the urologist. That's a deep accusation. A We're going to need to do a full investigation here. We're going to, like, Mike the Urologist, if you're listening, respond tomorrow. We will read it. We will talk about it because uh, Kyle and Canmore taking some shots here. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. Another edition of Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650.